Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about the comics released today. Actually, I guess we've been listening to this last week, the 10th of July, 2019. But first, we have some news to discuss. There have been a number of new series announced by DC. And we're going to start with John Constantine, or Constantine, Hellblazer, which will be a Sandman Universe series starting in October. Now, before we get into the specifics of this, does this move surprise you guys? That's a that's a good question because. Well, I, I, since I, you're both tongue tied, I'll answer. I did not see this coming. No, I was gonna say. I guess it does because I I honestly thought they were gonna keep uh, Constantine in the sort of all ages realm because I think. He he's become in the last few years one of their more popular characters. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that surprises me is like how quickly this comes off the heels of the shuddering of Vertigo, and how Hellblazer, in my in my viewpoint, is kind of like the Vertigo um, like flagship title. I mean, it ran forever. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so to kind of bring it back in the like most meaningful way since it ended, um, I mean, I think maybe didn't didn't that uh, Tynion Constantine series have like a Hellblazer subtitle? Maybe? Yes, yes. It, it, it I believe it was called, uh, was it Constantine Hellblazer? Maybe something like that, yeah. yeah. But but this sounds like whether or not it's actually you know in the continuity of the previous Hellblazer book, it's definitely going to be skewing more towards that tone. And I think Cy Spurrier even wrote some of the original Hellblazer. I may be wrong about that. I feel like but everybody did at that point. That book was written by so many different people. I know. I may be wrong. I know it wasn't much, but I kind of thought he maybe did like an arc at one point. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, me either. So I, I have a bunch of questions that are related to this that are sort of continuity questions. But before I get to that, I, I do just want to say I think that this is probably a smart move for DC. I think them ending the original Hellblazer run is one of the biggest mistakes they made around the time of the New 52. Mm. Um, because that series was so well regarded and it, it aged him in real time. So it let them do so many things with the character that you just, it it would take, I mean, I don't even know if you could ever replicate that again. You, you can't, it was just, it did so much for the character in a way that is so hard to do now. You, you know, they should have never ended it. Um, and I think uh, it's important to clarification. I think I was wrong. I don't think he ever did. Okay. Um, but here are my sort of three or four questions about this book. Number one, do you think that this is, that this will connect the Sandman universe continuity to mainstream DC continuity? Um, Even like I, in, with the most tangential of threads? I don't think so, personally. Okay. So then second question, do you think that this is going to be a different Constantine than we see in Justice League Dark right now? 
I do think that. Okay. Really? Or do you think that Constantine is going to be not available in the mainline DCU for a while now? I lean that way. I, I feel like we're going to see him unzip reality, step through, and then close it on himself. Isn't he for, dying for a little of cancer bit. right now? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I feel... So. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they, quote, kill him in main continuity and just let him hang out with the Sandman folks for a while. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know why I never oh. saw this move coming, but so listen to this. Um, this is from the Entertainment Weekly announcement. Um, it says this version of Constantine is special. The one shot begins in a moment from the original Books of Magic, where Tim Hunter visit a magical war in the future where Constantine died. That version of Constantine is now returned to the present day where he learns of Tim Hunter. Ah, uh, uh, well, it'd be helpful if I read these things. <laughs> so it is, it is some sort of alt universe version. Sounds like it. Okay. I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to any of those options I laid out. I just wasn't sure which one, you guys felt was the most likely. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of see this as maybe being like a situation where we just have two, two different versions running around. Uh, that's what it sounds like then, I guess. So we've got three questions, <laughs> six jokers and two hellblazers. Yeah. And and maybe two swamp things if poison ivy is a swamp thing now. Oh, that's true. Yes. <laughs> and I'm gonna say I'm gonna call them a swamp thing, like some people say a Dracula. Which is one of yes. my favorite things in the world when someone says a Dracula. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's, I think it's good to get this character back into the types of stories that are being told in Vertigo. But it's very weird, like you said, Zach, that it's happening directly after Vertigo shutters. I don't, I don't get that part of it. But we'll see. Are you guys, um, would th will this make you read a Sandman Universe title every month? Eh, probably not. I do really want to catch up on the dreaming. I'm behind on that. But maybe this will make me do that, and then I'll read those two books. Okay. I've got about 275 issues of Hellblazer to get through before I <laughs> before I really dig into this. I want to do that, too. Hell yeah, man. I've heard it's gotta, a good... I got to read more One Piece, though. Join LeBullocks, man. Who? I don't know. That's what I thought. Uh, the other bit of news that came out this week, which is just today and the day we're recording this, is that Jeff Lemire has two new... DC Black Label miniseries starting. Uh, one of them is surprise, surprise, a Joker series because as somebody Wait, pointed what? out, as somebody pointed out, over sixty percent of Black Label series are Joker series. <laughs> uh, 
uh, which I don't even think is a joke. He is uh, the darkest, most fucked up uh, character probably ever, yeah. Brian. Maybe the Joker's trick is that we're all becoming the Joker. <laughs> but anyway, Joker, Killer Smile is the name of the book. Um, and, uh, it's written by Jeff <laughs> that makes him sound like, like an 80s businessman. Yeah, or exactly. Something. Hi, I'm Joker, Killer Smile. Um <laughs> Written by Jeff Lemire, illustrated by Andrea Sorrentino, which is super exciting because those guys are great together. But I don't need another Batman slash Joker story. Ever. But especially not right now. Especially not Black Label. But. I'm told this one will be different, Brian. I, I have been told the same thing. But what I'm very excited about is the question, The Deaths of Vic Sage, written by Lemire. Illustrated by Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz. Italian chef kiss emoji. Yeah, that that almost feels like a one for you, one for me type thing. Where like, absolutely. Hey, I wanna I wanna do a a, a book about Vic Sage. The question being being trapped in a time loop where he keeps dying. Yeah, and yeah, like a hundred years ago, and Dan DiDio goes, "All right, but I gotta pitch something to you first. You know what we do." We need the Joker. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, gee, again, Dan, you really think so? People can't get enough of that shit. It prints money. <laughs> it's the only thing keeping me around here. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I'm I'm veering into like Yogi Bear. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey Jim Lee. Hey, How about hey, this Joker Jim. comic? Uh, did you see Joker a comic? I did, yeah. Like, pick a basket, Joker a comic. I got it, yeah. <laughs> and I said, hey, Jim Lee, which I thought was deserving of a bigger laugh than I got, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if, if Dan Dio is Yogi Bear, who is the, who is the park ranger? Oh, God. Joker Sada? Um... Well, I, w- I guess I would say Jeff Johns because uh, every once in a while would say, steps yeah. in to clean okay. things up a little. That's true. Jim Lee is boo-boo, and uh, the direct market is the picnic basket. <laughs> um, Isn't it weird how, like, Jeff Lemire is just back and all over the place again? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, so we should also say that the, the Joker series – is it's three issues long and it's going to start in October but come out every other month whereas the question series starts in November and will be four monthly issues. So these aren't very long-term projects for him but they're super they seem like they seem like the type of projects that he would have gotten like four or five years ago and then he sort of retreated and did his own thing for a while and is now back getting these high profile gigs again. But good for Lemire. Yeah. Well, there's also, I think we probably, I forget. I know I forget. Like, I think that period of time where I felt like he retreated, he was actually writing, like, C-tier books at Marvel. Yeah. Yes. Hawkeye and... And uh, uh, Sentry and... Yeah. And Thanos. And, um, Maybe a Thanos book or he, something? Oh, it was definitely he, a Thanos book, he, yeah. He did a Thanos book. He did an X-Men book. He did, like, the flagship book for a little bit. Oh, seriously? Yeah. What was the flagship book at the time? It, was, it wasn't um, Uncanny, was it? It wasn't Uncanny. It might have been... 
I kind of think it was a new adjective. Hold on. I'll look it up really quick. Um, the sexy X-Men. The horny X-Men. Ex- extraordinary X-Men. Ah, yes. Of course. Um, yeah. The, that was um, weird. Yeah, that's when... I had interviewed Lemire at the end of, let's call it, 2016, 2017 from Multiversity, and he basically laid out for me that um, he draws every day, right? So when he's doing, like, an OGN or at the time he was just starting Royal City, so he draws every day, but that he basically said he can write, in between drawing, he can write an issue of a comic every four days. Wow. And so he was doing, like, you know, four days a week he would write, and so he would write four different series a month, but what he he said, you know, he would basically some months he would write like you know four issues of Thanos, and then the next month do four issues of X Men, whatever. So he wasn't doing, he wasn't changing books every week, but he was writing. I think at that time he was writing five or six monthly series and drawing one, which is just insane. Ugh. Yeah. And he has a new uh, graphic novel coming out in September. It, really? Yeah. For uh, Gallery 13, which is like a boutique title from uh, mm. Random House, maybe? Ooh. Boutique label, rather. Um, it's, anyway. It's really, it's really weird. Like, he's a writer that I really liked for a while. Like, I really liked Essex County. I liked mm. Sweet Tooth. I liked um, Animal Man. Um. But then he started doing all the Marvel stuff and all of the image stuff, and I, I don't think I've actually read any of his image books. Gideon Falls is really good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. Like I love Dustin Wynn, but I've not read Descender. Uh, I think that all has to do more with just like the image boom than anything else. Um, it's not that I'm avoiding Jeff Lemire entirely. It's just there were way too many image books. Yes. So I just read none of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but somebody asked me a question the other day that I really don't know the answer to. And I want to get your opinion on this. Do you guys think that Black Label will ever be a hub for creative creator-owned books? Like I know they've announced their first creator-owned book, but will it ever be a place for creator-owned stories? Or do you think that DC has just realized that the majority of what they want that line to be are these sort of prestige slash adult superhero titles. I, I think, think it's, the, it's that, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. latter. Because that's cause, where the money cause, is. Because what's the creator-owned title that uh, Daniel, uh, the, um, ah, shit, I just forgot his name, but the like fake Conan book? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Philip Kennedy Jones. <laughs> uh, I feel like that, like reading between the lines of what Uncle Rich said when he was talking about Vertigo shutting down before it actually shut down, he said something like, there are contracts that that DC has signed and books that they're going to keep that they're moving to different places within their company. And I feel like that was one of them. So I feel like that's not going to be a common occurrence. That's just a product of, hey, this was already going to be a Vertigo book. 
the the deal is done. We don't really want to lose it. It's not a book that we want to send somewhere else. So let's just do black label. But I think the I think the vast majority of them are going to be, hey, we want you to write a stupid sexy Joker or sexy Deathstroke. I mean, it it probably it probably is a little advantageous because it lets them test the water and see how a creator owned black label book is received but i imagine it's about as well as a creator owned vertigo book would have been received so right i would say possibly even worse received maybe yeah um because and, but he, and if that's the case that's like their justification for not doing anymore so well, that, that's what i was going to say is I, I wonder how much of this is is just their internal excuse for not publishing those kind of comics anymore yeah I know we just talked about this stuff, but I, I've actually been thinking about this quite a bit the last week or so, and I wonder if this is ultimately a better thing for the industry because while Vertigo was a place where a lot of creators got their start and a lot of creator-owned stuff got initially put out through, is it better to not string people along in that way and and say to them, like, you know... Because think about how many people put out a book with Vertigo last year. People we talked to at New York Comic Con or, or around that time that if it had gone if they had gone to Vault with it or Dark Horse with it, they might have gotten a longer longer leash with their title. Mm-hmm. You know, um is it better for DC to not string those folks along and just to say, hey, we don't do those kind of books anymore? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I think I I think I'd agree. I would agree that it is. Yeah. I'm not sure. But anyway, we do have comics to talk about tonight, and we're going to start by talking about Batman number 74, written by Tom King, illustrated by Michael Janin. Um, so I did want to give a shout-out to our Multiversity pal, host of Make Mind Multiversity, Mr. Kevin Gregory, who had hypothesized that uh, Martha Wayne... Resurrected was going to be the new Phantasm, which was an uh, interesting idea uh, and a very Tom Kingy idea, but that obviously didn't happen in this issue. Um, well, maybe that's the hand coming out of the pit at the end. So, I had an idea about the hand coming out of the pit that I don't think is real, but it was kind of just one of those first thought things. Is it cousin uh, it from the Adam family? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's okay. it. Um, Same page. Cool. So, well, I would actually maybe still think this if it weren't for the Bat Cat miniseries, kind of throwing a big wrench into it. Sure. But I felt like this would be a just one hundred percent Tom King thing to do, and also be a huge shakeup is like over the course of the next arc, everything goes along smoothly. You assume that Bruce is under the cowl. He's fighting Bane. But then at the end of the series, it's revealed that it's been Thomas the whole time. Yeah. It, it's, and that Bruce it's, it's, is dead. Essentially the, the Batman version of superior Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had the same thought. Well, I one, don't think that's going to happen though. I, I th- I think in some way it still could. How many how many issues do we have until the until his run on this wraps up? Eleven it ends on eighty five. Okay, I think it could still happen. 
I think one thing to note is that the horse that, I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but the horse that goes over to the edge to see who's coming up from the pit is Thomas Wayne's horse versus Bruce's. Mm. So that's, that's one thing I noticed. I mean, I could see it being a thing over this, you know, remaining 10 issues and then it's resolved somehow, you know, Bruce comes back and is good again or whatever. Yeah. But and it, it just be... seems like he's there for Batcat. Right. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. Um Well, you guys, can I actually make I... a further suggestion there? Go for it. Just before Vince jumps in. I feel like the way to capitalize on everything that King has been building would be to have Thomas Wayne kill him, leave him there. Alfred find out, and Alfred sacrifice his life for Bruce to come back. Oh no! I can see that happening. Yeah, that's the most Tom King way to end this. Yeah, oh, I could, no. I could see that big time. Or Dick, maybe just just the fuck with Dick I mean. anymore. You just figured out yeah. the big change. The the death of Alfred. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. But. I I still like the Martha. As, I don't like it, but I like the theory that Martha is uh, the phantasm. I feel like that's going to happen now. I don't know how, but I think it's going to happen. I think it'd be nice if uh, if Selena rescued Bruce from the pit somehow, and that kicked off their series. Isn't it wild? Like how much. Flashpoint is in this. Like we're living in a world where Brian Azzarello <laughs> and Eduardo Riso's Batman Flashpoint miniseries is a key, like, like talking point, like foundational stone for this Batman run. Mm. What That's I was going to say is, isn't it wild how much Tom King's Batman? is going in directions that uh, don't seem to be following the overarching plot he was doing for so long. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel like that's the most... I mean, that's all the time. That's Yeah. yeah. Uh, what if the, the Bat and Cat series is Bruce was rescued from the pit by Selina somehow. They're, they're having to go back to Gotham or whatever to take on... Thomas as Batman and Martha as the Phantasm. And like that's the that's the premise of that arc. I can see that. Yeah. I kinda like that. I kinda liked this issue, you guys. Wait a second. Did you so... really like how he brought back the 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 Russian fable thing? I mean not And retold really, the story I... exactly the same way a second time? Yeah, don't don't get me wrong. There's there's things I there's typical Tom King bullshit in this that I that I didn't like. But actually overall, this is like the one in 10 issues of of Tom King's Batman that I you know, every once in a while there's an issue I like. What was it about? And what about it did you like? I something about the pacing, something about the the <laughs> just the the part where Bruce is like, I buried Martha in the desert while you were asleep, and that that's that was so that was when the issue like, I did the Italian chef kiss, 
at that moment because I think that is a perfect like twist to this whole thing. Um, and then just the two of them fighting, uh, you know, on their way down the pit, just so, something about the, 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 the scope of that and the feel of it was very epic. It was very much like um, Bruce taking on Rachel Ghoul shirtless wearing the cowl, yep. you know, <laughs> Some, something about the imagery and, and the art and the, the, father son duking it out thing just really worked for me yeah you're right the fabled thing was brought back there was still some like dialogue bullshit in there but for whatever reason i got to the end of these 20 pages and i thought that was that was a well-paced really satisfying comic with a couple of nice twists to it and uh I mean, don't get me wrong. Like this run sucks, right? But I can every ten issues, I can compliment it a little. I think. I'm trying to be yeah. positive here. No, that's fine. I don't actually really disagree with you. I think. I, yeah, I I thought it was a fine issue, and I, I mean, I liked the last issue too. I said that. So I and this was more of that kind of, and and yeah, I liked it. Well enough. This was definitely better than the last issue, but that's not. Hard well, there. I mean, you trade out the the home on the range for the fable thing. And so <laughs> yeah. the difference is we didn't get an entire issue built around home on the range a year ago. <laughs> right. You're right. Um, yeah, I think I, some of the, I think some of the imagery in this comic is so good though. When they're fighting in the pit and you see the shadows on the wall and the, and you see the, uh, the captive, uh, guy laying there tied up to the the coffin and then you see uh bruce throw thomas into the car like that that sequence is really well done um no okay i'll go fuck myself no i mean i I don't disagree with that i i just uh you know one of the things that that i thought king didn't even acknowledge really but broke my heart was for poor fucking Bruce having to bury his mom. Like, I know. Like that's a that's a really heartrending thing that that King makes him do. It makes him do kind of nonchalantly. Um, but also like this whole issue was kind of how like about how and I mean some of this I think is just like being a kid and you don't really know things. Like but this issue was a lot about how like Bruce was just a weird kid who likes morbidity, you know, and I don't know. It wasn't necessarily, I think, saying that, but it was like it was talking about how he can handle and process horrible things and still be optimistic and hopeful, I guess. I also I did not hate the explanation for why Bruce wanted to hear that story over and over again. Yeah. Mm. I didn't hate that. I just got down on myself, not down myself, down on the the writing for this when you realize that they're not really father and son and that like I I don't I don't know why across the multiverse the same book would appear and the same you know, I mean like, like all that stuff just seems like it just seems like Young uh, Justice touches on that a little bit this week. A little bit, yeah. Um but it just it just seems to be like a little bit too convenient. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. It just seems a little bit too convenient, you know. Yeah, 
it's a, it is a assumption that is made that if you don't really pay attention to it, you're you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But the second you look at it a little <laughs> bit more closely, you're like, oh, but does it? Yeah. And I'm I'm okay doing that when the situation is compelling enough. And I thought, yeah. I thought in this issue it it was for me. Yeah, and I mean that we had the same thing with like Mr. and Mrs. Terrific in the Terrifics. They had similar shared experiences. Their history was the same, mm-hmm. even though they were from different universes. Yeah, it's a common alternate universe trope, I think. Somewhere there's there's three guys doing a podcast all about the DC comics that are being released in that earth that week. Yeah. And their names are Zork, <laughs> Vance, and... And uh, Mike, was it? No. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. What I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I don't even remember yeah. what... I remember the reference, but I don't remember what that's in reference to. <laughs> It was a dream I had. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and uh, China Meville's Dial H got 150 issues in that universe. <laughs> <laughs> that was a blessed that was a blessed universe. Are we ready to move on to our next title? Sure. All right. Talk about Event Leviathan, number two, written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by Alex Maleev. Um, Vince, you were probably uh, most down on the first issue of this, of the three of us, if I recall correctly. Maybe, sure. What did you think of the second issue? Uh, Better than the first. I think, you know, obviously this moves the story forward more than that first issue did. I still have a problem, though, when you realize that for the first seven pages of this comic, and of course you find you find out later, and we'll talk about Jason's role in all of this, you, you find out why Bruce is doing this. But again, as a reader, reading a comic that I paid $4 for, whatever, the first seven or eight pages of this is Bruce explaining the plot of event Leviathan to <laughs> Jason. Am I wrong? Bruce, no. why is it spread out over six issues? Well, you see trades are, are collected in six issues. And so, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it gets I a... mean, re- but, but also this thing that you read in a trade three seconds ago, let me recap it for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> What if she is Leviathan? Then we're all in a great deal of trouble. But Leviathan has attacked her entire family. Her father is in the hospital. The great super spy, Sam Lane. (laughs) He and Amanda Waller were attacked. And that is all that's left of Argus. But that's where the question might have found a very big clue. Again, like, let's assume that you only did read the first issue of this. This is still mostly information that you already know, you know? But also, if you didn't read that first, like, what do we do... When, when we talk about superhero events, what do we do like the lead up to Event Leviathan? The, you know, the Event Leviathan special. What do we do those kind of books for? And don't say to make more money because I know that that's the real answer. But like, why do we do issues like that if then the excuse to write issues like number one and half of number two is 
well, we got to collect it and trade. And, you know, if they didn't read all the supplemental material, then they're going to be lost. So either stick that shit in the trade or figure out a way to do this a little more organically. Because now you're talking about an issue and a half that has been spent recapping things that we've already seen happen. And that drives me nuts. And that is such a Bendis at Marvel thing. Um, that, that was the thing that he subverted when he came over to DC and he wrote all these other books that I'm really liking. That was all the stuff that I'm worried about. And it's all here in this book. (laughs) Yeah. And, and you know, that's the, the like, um, you know, prologue stuff from other books. That's usually something that gets collected in like a trade that comes out for sure a little bit before the the main book you know there'll be like a road to event leviathan trade that'll have like the event leviathan special and some Uh, of the action comics issues and like maybe some weird old issues that have tangential stuff like but why shouldn't you throw the event leviathan special into the event leviathan hardcover why not probably it might be it might be i was just using that as like an example um but Having said that, I thoroughly enjoyed everything from the moment that you see the question, I think, on page eight mm-hmm. from the, from then on. Uh, I think the stuff with Jason at the end where they're accusing him of being Leviathan is really compelling. I think the way that Bendis handles it is really interesting because Jason doesn't deny it. Um. I think if, and I'm making a big big assumption here, if he really is Leviathan or has anything to do with Leviathan, I immediately buy that more, and I'm I'm more okay with that, and it's more compelling to me than uh, I believe it's Damien says, you're just messed up from having lost your best friend or whatever. If this is a parallel to Wally West's story with Heroes in Crisis. Event Leviathan is so much easier to stomach and understand and see as a possible outcome for this character. Agreed. Uh, but now I want you guys to talk. I've, t- I've said too much. Zach, go for it. I mean, I really agree with everything you said, but uh, since you didn't talk about it as much, I'll just highlight how good the Plastic Man pages are. <laughs> um yeah, I do want to say that there was uh, somebody asked Bendis on Twitter, like, isn't this more of an elongated man story than a plastic man story? And he said there's an in-universe reason for why it's not and that they will get to that eventually. Mm. Nice. So that well, had I, me excited. I did like I did like uh, Leviathan kind of goading him about all the different teams he's been on and how he's never really found a place. That that's a that's like an in-story motivation for Leviathan getting to him that I I think I, I I really buy you know there's a lot of times where writers do the thing like oh you don't you don't belong anywhere type thing and it doesn't doesn't really track but I think like with Plastic Man and his sort of up and down history that 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 is that feels credible to me yeah I agree with that too. Man, I I can't get over how much Leviathan looks like a Sith Lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I want to say 
that in some interview I read with Bendis, he said he wanted it to look like a evil Star Wars character. He wanted you to oh. think that while you were when you were looking at it. He he nailed it. <laughs> well, Malieve nailed it. Yeah, yeah. Malieve is definitely doing his Malieve thing here. Like there, there's no new ground being broken here, but he's doing really solid work. Yeah, I think this issue plays off his strengths a lot more than the first issue did personally yeah Yeah. i agree um i i like to me this feels like a really true to the character's way that bruce would handle this type of situation like if he thought that jason was leviathan he would try and bring him down but he would do so in a way that was um respectful is the wrong word but you know he he wouldn't try and humiliate jason he would try and bring him in gently he would try and show him how much he cares about him to me this is a very well written bruce in this issue i think more so than the bruce we saw last issue Mm -hmm. yeah and it's nice seeing jason getting elevated a little bit you know Mm -hmm. yeah here we go the Mask is an icon. This is a character who's dealing with icons and psychology of imagery specifically. This is a character who's very aware of Darth Vader and very aware of what images do for people and how they respond to them. Uh, they think that they're fighting Darth Vader because he wants them to think that they're fighting Darth Vader. So there you go. It's been this on Leviathan's outfit. Uh, so I, I guess the, the big question is, do you guys think Jason is Leviathan? I I don't only because it's being Issue introduced two. so early. Yeah. Right. I mean, it would actually still it would be cool if it was for that reason, I think. If like this whole series is like him denying it and then maybe even like working together with them but then actually being like JK, I am. Um, <laughs> Psych. Yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of wild, but um, no, I, I don't think he is. But I honestly yeah. have no idea who it could be. I, I'm with Zach where I don't, I don't think it is him, but I think, and I think that's because that's just not the way that comics work. Um, comic book storytelling event type storytelling works but i do think i i think when you do that you run the risk of passing up the better story. and i think heroes in crisis was guilty of this too um i think you run the and now not knowing how this story ends you run the risk of maybe jason todd as leviathan as it's pitched in this issue is a more interesting outcome than whatever actually you know, is going to happen. If it turns out it's either somebody we've never heard of or somebody we care less about than Jason, then you maybe accidentally passed up the better option, you know? And it's the same with Heroes in Crisis. Like, there was the opportunity to tell a, a, a maybe subtler story about PTSD and, and trauma and all that stuff, and it was passed up for a gruesome murder mystery, and uh, I, I just I kind of hope they 
maybe do take the opportunity to dig into Jason as a character a little more, but who knows? Yeah, I um, my biggest hope for this for this miniseries is just that it gives us a Leviathan we've seen before, because I'm really tired of these big events happening with new villains. I think it makes so much more sense if it's a character we've we've seen before. Uh, it means so much more. Um, so we'll see. All right, next up is Young Justice number seven. Uh, it feels like this series should be both way past number seven by this point, but also I feel like there hasn't been seven issues worth of story yet. So it's a weird place. Um, anyway, written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by John Timms, Dan Hip, and David LaFuente. Um, this is a full-on multiversal affair. We get a couple of different uh, Earths which is super fun. And uh, one Earth I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about, so let's, we'll get to that in a minute. But overall, Zach, what did you think of this issue? Oh, Maltobane. <laughs> Maltobane, yep. <laughs> oh, this issue was for me. Um, I loved this. I thought this was the best. I thought I, if I were to have like a minor quibble with this issue it's how uh, like flippant some of the kingdom come characters come across but i ultimately don't really care about that i i just feel like some people could be bothered by that uh because of how you know quote unquote serious that story is but you know who cares this is a lot of fun i liked it a lot yeah um this uh oh i I mean, I just love this kind of stuff. This is the best. So much fun. So uh, much fun. Bart was just on point the whole issue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, I think we should say some of the most fun Connor writing we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Connor yeah. refusing to speak. Yeah. Um, just really, really fun stuff. Uh, but let's talk Kingdom Come for a second. Did you guys ever see this coming? Yeah, only because I saw the solicits a while oh, okay. back ago. Well, I guess let me ask a broader question, which is, did you ever think you would see uh, Kingdom Come showing up in a, in like a DC mainline book after uh, the New 52? Um, yeah, maybe. In my yeah. lifetime, definitely. <laughs> yeah. What was, I don't, that, I don't, what was I don't that JSA think... story that had the Kingdom Thy Come kingdom, stuff? Thy Kingdom Come. Yeah. Sorry, Vince. Go ahead. I, I don't think I would have guessed that it would happen in Brian Michael Bendis's Young Justice, for sure. But yeah, I think we've, I think we've taken so many diversions to other Earths, especially since Rebirth start. Well, since since the multiversity came out, since Grant Morrison kind of reestablished that multiversal map, they've referenced it so often that why wouldn't they use Kingdom Come eventually when they gave it its own Earth? I think it's Earth 22. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's so, right. So I did feel like it was 
something that was going to happen sooner or later. But yeah, if you'd have asked me if it would have happened in 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 Bendis's Young Justice, uh, no, <laughs> I wouldn't have said that. I could have easily seen them doing another like follow up arc or even mini series in the Kingdom Come Earth, just to just to squeeze that, squeeze some money out of that. But to stick it, yeah, I'm surprised to find it here. Yeah, but I mean, also, like, five years ago, Brian Bendis' Young Justice would have been <laughs> unheard of. So. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Um, but, man, that oh, that team is so good. That Alan Scott, that's, like, one of my favorite DC things, like, period. For sure. And I loved Alan Scott's moment with Teen Lantern yes. in this. Uh-huh. That was like that. That really won me over because I did think the same thing that you thought a little bit, Zach, where you were like, "Ah, these characters are kind of, <laughs> kind of uh, using sort of modernish Bendis talk," you know, mm-hmm. at, at points. Yeah. And, but I, I didn't think it was all that bad. But then the the moment with Alan Scott and Teen Lantern, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is what I want. I want this to be a thing." going forward like i want them to have some kind of bond that we that we experience you know every once in a while over the next five years that would be so good so here's my here's my question right i i did not read the thy kingdom come arc but at the end of kingdom come batman superman and wonder woman are all on good terms does that change? Because here the children of the bat are attacking those yeah, folks. Yeah, so it's been a long time since I read Thy Kingdom Come, but if I recall correctly, almost none of it actually takes place in the Kingdom Come universe. It's all about like the Kingdom Come Superman coming into the main DCU, and then there's like a new Magog who gets created. It's right, completely yeah. Magog. Yeah, Magog. not Magog. <laughs> not related at all to the kingdom Kong Magog and, and it's a very, very long arc. It was like three trades long. Um, and then at the end, uh, kingdom come Superman goes back to his universe and that's it. I wasn't sure if I had missed something with the, there being a fallout or if this is just so. like thematically a similar, you know, a similar thing to kingdom come. Yeah, I don't know, and it it also seems like, yeah, I feel like where, where Bruce is is left very vague, and you could maybe even just assume that these sons and daughters of the, the Bat are maybe, you know, maybe maybe using his name disingenuously, but then there's also the thing about the, the Superman protest. He says something about... Connor shirt being like a protest shirt or yeah. something. So, yeah. and and I mean, who knows? You you can play fast and loose with these things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I just wasn't sure if I had missed something there. Um, yeah. No, I don't think you did. But it was so fun seeing these characters. Mm-hmm. And say what you want about Kingdom Come. I know a lot of people have a problem with that book today. But those. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's that that is now a a pretty. Uh, I would say one of those books that people. I mean, obviously, it's not to like an identity crisis level, but people are not super fond of Kingdom Come nowadays. Mm, I, I was not aware. I still look on back on that book really fondly. It's been a while since I've read it, but I smell a a, a reading series coming up here. Maybe we should. It's short. 
Yeah, only I'm, four issues, I believe. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. game for it. But I was gonna say like those are some of the best character designs of the last fifty years. Mm, yes. Every one of those character designs is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm all for a Kingdom Come reread. That was um, one of the first uh, comics that I ever bought. Like one of the first trades I picked up when I started getting into comics because it's uh, something I had known about for a really long time because I had a friend who was into comics and he kind of like told me the whole story. Um, and so when I started reading that was one of the things I picked up. Yeah, we need to. We're going to do this. Okay. We'll we'll talk about this offline. Yeah, for sure. But overall, this is a super fun issue. And it's the first part of an arc where they're lost in the multiverse. So, goodness gracious, this is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get the Chibi-verse, the <laughs> Earth 40, 42 or something. Um, and then the, the Zoo crew is always good. Yes. Yeah. I also love that Dr. Fate can't access the multiverse for 52 hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just great. Just Bendis, just... Bendis was like, uh, let's make it 48 hours. And Didio was like, wait. No. Did you read the DC handbook? <laughs> it's on page 52. Natch. <laughs> Excelsior. Enough said. <laughs> True believer. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let, let's take a break. And uh, I promise no more to do impressions. Uh, actually, I don't promise anything. No, uh, I don't promise but that. We'll return in a bit with a look at two DC adjacent books in our second half. Stay tuned. Hello, podcast listener. I'm Kevin. I'm Jess. And I'm Nick. And we are Make Mine Multiversity, a monthly podcast discussing all things Marvel Comics. Each month we will be discussing Marvel news and looking at some of their major recent comic book or movie releases. We also look at older storylines, character histories, and Marvel's place in the overall comics market. We have a variety of perspectives. The recent Marvel fan. The jaded longtime reader. And the reader who's finally digging into Marvel's back catalog after a decade of avoidance. If you want to know what books made me cry this month, what books made me almost cry this month? And what books I wish would make me feel something? Check out Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast, the fourth Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcast, or your podcatcher of choice. And Make Mine Marvel Multiversity. Multiversity. And we are back with a discussion of two DC adjacent books. The first one is a DC Dark Horse, Dark Horse crossover, which is the Black Hammer Justice League crossover. It's the first issue. It is written by Jeff Lemire, illustrated by Michael Walsh. Um, before we get into the review, Vince, how much Black Hammer have you read? Uh, none. I, I haven't had a chance. Zach, how about you? Um, so I, I read a lot of the first series when it was coming out, and then I kind of fell off. And so I reread the first arc again, the like first six issues to get ready for tonight. Yeah, I think I read um, the first six issues when they came out, and then I actually bought the first omnibus of it, but I have mm-hmm. not read past the first six issues yet. Just because, you know, we're DC boys. We have a lot of weekly comics we have to read. Uh, but I, I really do enjoy the Black Hammer stuff thus far. 
Um, but so, Vince, I want to start with you since you've never read any Black Hammer before. What did you think of this issue? I mean, I, th- I thought it was fun. I thought it was. I I, I do wish that I knew kind of the um, wavelength that Black Hammer generally runs on, because like I understand that it's a that in general, Black Hammer's comprised of different homages to like famous superhero comics specifically dc ones right yeah and uh you know so that really rang true with everything from the very first pages which felt like they could have taken place on the kent farm right um but then there was like with some of the side characters there was almost a hellboy in the bprd like feel to some of them and, and just the way they talked. And I don't know if that's intentional or if that's just a product of being, of, of being a creator owned title. I, you know, so it's, but, but on the whole, I, I enjoyed it. I just wasn't sure. Like I do wish I would have been more exposed to, to black hammer before this. Okay. Zach, what'd you think? Um, just of this issue in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I thought it was I thought it was fun. I thought it I thought that the like initial concept was a lot more interesting than I kind of expected it to be. You know, I've kind of notoriously been a uh downer on crossover books like this, but I liked the initial premise. I liked how um relatively little you needed to actually know about about black hammer to kind of dive into this like i mean i i did benefit from having just reread those six issues so i kind of you know know where at least those core characters are coming from and what their deal is and like vince you you've got to read black hammer because um it's kind of um it's kind of dc comics done right i think Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) Um, sure it's really good. Um, there are a lot of really great homages and like covering so many different eras of DC history too. Um, but yeah, I thought, oh, excuse me. I thought this issue was a lot of fun. Um, the art is really, really good. Um, yeah, Michael, Michael Walsh. Walsh. Great. Yeah, great, great pick for this. Um, I thought it um carries a lot of weight to it and felt um it didn't feel like a throwaway ever um which i feel like is my biggest problem with a lot of crossovers is it just kind of feels like um disposable you know like um the wonder woman conan crossover um yeah i I'm very excited to see where this goes. I'm going to try to catch up on a lot, as much Black Hammer as I can between now and the next issue. Um, I, I really want to get current on that series. So while I did think that this was a fun issue, I thought this was an incredibly slight issue where almost nothing happens in the entire issue. They kind of give each team a couple of pages to introduce what they're all about. And then they are given a little switcheroo, and they're on each other's Earths, 
and that's kind of it. You really don't get too much in terms of story or in terms of character interaction aside from those first couple of introductory pages. But even the, even saying you know slight is a negative term, obviously, and I, I I don't mean it entirely negatively. I think on one hand, sometimes these crossovers really feel like. Uh, how can I put this? Either like you don't get any benefit from being familiar with the characters ahead of time, or if you don't know the characters at all, you're totally lost going into it. And this seemed to have neither of those things. This seemed to be a pretty good mix of if you had read Black Hammer before, it's pretty. There are a couple of things you're going to pick up on, but I don't think Vince was lost in any way, not knowing, no. not knowing this, you know. And so that's that's a really nice thing to have in a book. But I do wish there was just a little bit more meat to this issue. Yeah, I think yeah, I definitely was not lost plot wise, and it was pretty easy to figure out like the role that each of these characters play. I I just was. There was something beguiling about the the tone of it all, not in a bad way, just in a, a little bit of a disorienting way. Like, like, what am I supposed? Like, like again, I, I just wish I were more familiar with the general tone of the thing versus, like, I I, I felt like I got enough of the the character and the story. Um, I, I also do towards- want to say, Vince, uh, as a compliment to you, when I had spoken with Lemire, I mentioned this earlier. I had interviewed Lemire, I guess, maybe the first year this book had descended, and I had said to him that it reminded me of the Mignolaverse, and he said that was like a very astute observation. Oh, okay. So, good Well, there you. you go. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, I thought towards the very end of the first issue, it got really intriguing when the, when the two worlds crossed, and Lemire started playing with the aspects of the justice league that would and wouldn't work on this other earth and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Now there was very little of it, but um, that's a real, that's a really intriguing. I love when, when I love when smart creators like Lemire play around with the fundamental aspects of these characters, you know? Um, and I thought the wall chart was really great. Yeah. He, he's amazing. And uh, he definitely, he also colored his own work here. And I think that he did such a nice job of making the book appear timeless through the coloring. Nothing is like over the top with its, uh, with its colors. Everything is somewhat faded and just, just gives a really nice, um, like, timeless feel to the comic. I agree. Yeah. Anything else to add to this? To this, or are we good? Um, no, yeah, I guess I'm good. But um, it was also fun to well, see Starro here. Starro being yeah. the first Justice League villain, it's cool mm-hmm. to see him show up here. Um, <clears throat> Vince, I feel like I bring this up like every time we ever talk about Black Hammer, but um, there's a Starman analog named Jimmy Robinson in the book. So <laughs> nice. Yep. So <laughs> oh, we, before we get to our Basically last Basically Brian Nepp. Yeah, exactly. Uh before we get to our final book of the uh of the night, let's talk about our lists. 
So on the good list, we have Supergirl, Superman, The Flash, Wonder Twins, Wonder Woman. On the okay list, we have Batman and the Outsiders, Catwoman, Tech, Hawkman, and Naomi. On the bad list, we have Justice League Odyssey. On the Sandman Universe list, we have House of Whispers. On the Walmart list, we have Batman Universe. And on the newly christened Beware the Creeper list, we have Red Hood and the Outlaws. <laughs> but, Vincey, what is our final book of the week this week? Uh, it is a book that was supposed to be uh, a DC book. I believe, was it? It was going to be in the Vertigo relaunch, right? It was, yes. Yes. Um, from our friend and yours, Mark Russell, and artist Richard Pace, Second Coming, number one. And you made me say coming, so. <laughs> I was not going for that, but you're welcome. <laughs> um, so we should mention it's at Ahoy Comics right now, which I, I, I am told is a real publisher. Yes, <laughs> they they are a real publisher. They publish a lot of really interesting stuff right now. All of their stuff is done like in magazine format with multiple backups and things like that, which is sort of their their deal. Um, but Zach, you said you want to talk about this book a lot, so I'm gonna let you kick off the actual conversation part of it. Go for it, buddy. Um, I mean, this is written, this was written for me. Um, me too. Like, this is, um, okay. So like most people probably are, who listen to our podcast, who are familiar with Mark Russell may not be as familiar with his, like, um, God is Disappointed in You and Apocrypha Now, um, which are which were actually the, the first things that I um, read of his. Um, and like those are um, kind of satirical summarizations, like summer, yeah, summarizings of the Bible and the apocryphal literatures. Um, and they're like super fun. They're very good. Um, and this is like the perfect comic book companion to that. Um, this feels like it is growing out of that in a lot of neat ways. So much so that like the opening in the, the opening section, kind of like recounting the like creation and the, and the, biblical mythology i guess feels kind of the 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 tone that russell uses is very similar to that um so i i thought that that was fun but then just like i really like i can't do any of this justice but if if you do either of you read the essay at the end of the issue i did yeah. yes it's just it's just the best and it's like it's just everything that's like wrong with humanity <laughs> and like how we can fix it. <laughs> I don't for, know. For, for those can, that didn't read the essay, are... for those that didn't Maybe. read the essay, Zach, can you just like briefly summarize what Russell tries to say in it? So he basically just talks about like how um, it's really kind of all about perspective i guess is how i would summarize it and well first he kind of talks about how uh, um 
this book it's it's troubled history and how it was dropped for you know obvious reasons and how uh he is uh, often pegged as like a blasphemer essentially um but he just talks about how like this is kind of his view of um of christ and of the bible and this is like his 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 interpretation and and how you know his interpretation is as 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 valuable as anyone else's so take it or leave it but then he plays the idea of like a passive savior figure to the kind of righteous violence of superheroes and how essentially how we all just worship violence and view violence as the solution to all problems and how that just doesn't really work in like in a world where we have problems like climate change and healthcare issues and rampant poverty and all that stuff and so it's kind of just like a call to looking for a different option another solution and that's the inspiration for this book which i guess we haven't really talked about what the book is actually about yet um basically god sees superman realizes superman is cooler than jesus and sends jesus on the second coming to go hang out with superman yeah and to learn how to be cool (laughs) yeah but it's not it's not really superman but you know yeah which makes good on grant morrison's thesis that superman is the best idea we've come up with as human beings so yes he's right um, um, there's there's a sequence. I, the... I legit teared up at, at that sequence towards the end while, with, while I was reading it with the healing people. Well, just his his when he does that, and then the like flashback where he talks about his friend, um, Shimon. Sh- yeah, Shimon. Shimon. And, I don't know how it's pronounced. Shimon. And just like the his little speech there, it was just like it. Ugh. I eat, I eat that stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say like the, the thing, there's a great sequence where, what is the hero's name? Um, uh, uh, sun, sun spot or something. Sun, sun something. Sun, sun, sun star. Sun, 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 sun star sounds right. Actually. I, I don't know if that's right. Hold on. I'm trying to find it now. Um, why can't i find it i know they say it here sometimes this is fascinating podcast sunstar um, sunstar it is sunstar yeah. yeah okay so um so sunstar is breaking up a counterfeiting ring <laughs> and basically says uh, intellectual property is all of our problem or something like that which is <laughs> which is amazing but but so he throws these villains out of a window and he goes out to collect them and they're all gone and he asked jesus what's going on and jesus was like i healed them and he said, why? And he said, because they needed healing. And I just thought that was such a wonderful like encapsulation of of what's wrong with superhero comics and superhero stories. And also like just the looking at looking at people as individuals who do need healing. And, and not to turn this into a spiritual thing, because I really don't I don't think that that's what our show is and we shouldn't go there. But I, I just think that there's something really charming about the simplicity of Russell's message here, which is which is just that, you know, 
what the right thing to do in this instance and in these instances is the opposite in a lot of ways of what we glorify. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, what do you think, Vince? I do be like that. <laughs> oh, thank you, Zach. That was You're great. Welcome. You're uh, <laughs> um, I like this a lot. Um, I think I'm a million times more cynical than you guys are about about all of this stuff. I think because um, I'm I'm very lapsed, like extremely so, from my from my spiritual upbringing or whatever. And it's it's for a lot of the reasons that that Russell talks about in the, in the essay at the end, you know, but there is some essential truth there, you know, no matter what you believe, uh, religiously, I mean, there, there are essential truths here that Russell is getting to the heart of about humanism in some ways, which, which has nothing to do with religion. Right. Mm. Um, but in other ways, like, isn't humanism the, the ideal of what, like, when people talk about their religion, doesn't it doesn't it always sound like it's just about, you know, treating people well and and all the good things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think no matter what, and I think that that's what that that's what Russell's getting at that the, the reality and and that what it, what what life is supposed to be are two different things and and you know this is the way that religion and very specifically Christianity uh, factors into that. But I think there's something that anybody, uh, you know, whether you were raised that way or not, can can take from this. And I don't mean like lesson learned. I mean like a, just a way to look at the world, you know, whether, whether you agree with it or reject it or not. Like um, the, the, Russell has a way and he does this. He does this in Wonder Twins. He does this in everything. But um uh what was that line about intellectual property that I think you mentioned Brian um, um it's all of our problems or whatever <laughs> yes he, he's got a way of just throwing those like one liners in that are like essential they're either essential truths about society or they're pithy you know sometimes cynical sometimes not you know but but pithy little statements about things that we experience in society that are, that are less than optimal, right? So much of, uh, wonder twins right now is about how, uh, Zan and Jaina are like walking around and they're, they're coming face to face with like harsh realities about earth. When, when in their like alien minds, they think that things should be different or simpler than this. Right. And it turns out they're not. And like in that comic, they accidentally end up making an alcoholic drink again because of it, right? Right. And I, I feel like in Second Coming, there's a lot of that too, where they like with the Jesus healing thing. There's like there's the thing that you're supposed to do, or there's the ideal that you're supposed to live up to, or all this stuff is supposed to stand for. And then there's the reality, and it doesn't. And anybody who's objective, whether they're religious or not, should be able to look at that and say like. Okay, this is the essential truth about what it means to be a human being, right? Um, 
I think I just climbed up my ass with all of that. But what I, what I, what I mean to say, what I mean to say is that I really, really like this comic. Um, and I like, even though, even though I'm not religious, I like Mark Russell's, uh, I like his spin on religion, right? And I feel like it's something that agrees with all of us, the three of us, right? Um, I, 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 I would, I would say we're probably cynical and diff- and maybe in just slightly different ways. Because I sure, think, yeah, I, I don't think to, like, you would enjoy this cynical. if you weren't a little cynical. No, I don't think you yeah. were. Um, yeah, I, I mean, my cynic, I, I feel like my cynicism comes from a different place than yours does Vince and yours yeah. does Zach. But I, I think mm-hmm. all of us are cynical about some point, some part of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I do think about like, if I had read this maybe like 10 years ago, I, I probably, I might've been offended by it maybe. Mm. And, and so, um, but I think it is delightful. What what I found really interesting in it was so when when, you, when the book begins, we see you know, God the Creator, basically, <laughs> realize his mistake with humanity pretty early on, and God is super cynical the whole time, but Jesus <laughs> yeah. isn't. Jesus is presented as like close to the historical, traditional Jesus as possible. Right, he's a really good friend. He's he's compassionate. He's caring. I found it interesting because I think sometimes when you see a story like this told, it's easier to do the opposite. It's easier to show God as the sort of pure creator, no malice, and Jesus, because he is both human and divine, having the flaws of a human along with him. So I thought yeah. that was a very interesting take. It it is interesting, and without getting like too theological here, I think I to me it makes sense what Russell is doing here, just because like the idea of of God as he is presented in the Bible is really hard. It's very contradictory and very just hard to make sense of and so how does he he does it by just essentially kind of making him like kind of a dick right yeah (laughs) Um, and and it and it works because it it deals with those incongruencies in a funny way um and and it does yeah, I yeah, I I liked that a lot. Also, I liked how the forbidden fruit were shaped like penises and <laughs> and vaginas. Yeah, that was something I wanted to bring up because I I, I did want I wanted to talk about the art um, for a little bit. Uh, I think uh, was Richard Pace the solicited artist back when this was announced uh, at DC. I, I believe so. so. Yeah, you think he was okay. I just didn't. I just didn't remember that. Um, I don't know if Leonard Kirk was attached. No, that, that was that supposedly point. a surprise. Mm. Okay. Well, um, anyway, I thought I thought the art was was really good. It was it was um, sketchier than I expected based on based on the cover, which I believe was Amanda Connor, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amanda Connor did the cover, but. 
um, you know, so, so opening it up and not being familiar with Richard Pace's art, as far as I know, it was sketchier than I was expecting, but I think it worked really with, especially with the biblical stuff. It reminded me a lot of, um, a more modern version of like the, the old, uh, Joe Kubert Bible stuff. Uh Have you ever seen, have you ever seen that stuff? Yes. Yeah, I I have. Yeah. And it also kind of reminded me a little bit of like the Robert Crumb. Oh, Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, especially with the dicks and stuff because Crumb loved drawing that kind of stuff. (laughs) I have to say the the Crumb book of Genesis plays it like impossibly straight. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever read that. I've seen the Crumb stuff, but I haven't like read it or anything. So I don't know, but it's wild. I just just (laughs) know he's a perv. That's all. Yes, he is. um, Yeah. But, uh, but, but it's easy to see why this wasn't like thematically and artistically why this didn't end up uh, getting published at DC. There's a bunch of full frontal nudity. There's the 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 forbidden fruit looks like dicks and vaginas, and I believe I saw a nipple in there. <laughs> um, at one point, the the at one point the caricature of Adam uh, gronks on his plonker. In fact, he does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> the first gronking on a plonker. Ever, ever, yeah. yeah. He was a pioneer. <laughs> we we owe so much to him. Hey, but he had to do it by himself. Like there, he didn't have his mates there to <laughs> to gronk on with. <laughs> it wouldn't be until 1963. <laughs> <laughs> and those lads from Liverpool. Oh, that's, well, that's, that's why they're bigger than Jesus. <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> in more ways than one. Oh no! Oh, oh uh, my goodness! By the way, Vince, you ignorant slut. Um, Richard Pace did one of the best issues of Starman ever. Okay, I haven't, I haven't read it. I'm sorry. You haven't read all Starman? No. You know this about me. I did not know that about you. Yes, we've talked about this. He does the the one of the times past. Have you read some of Starman? I've read some of Starman. He does one of the times past stories. Okay, but and it's specifically... later, later. I mean, it would have been so long ago that I wouldn't recall his art. It's specifically the one with Will Payton, Starman. Okay, I yeah, I don't which know. is great. Oh, I forgot to mention the counterfeiters were counterfeiting uh, essentially Pokemon cards. Yep. that's also. Oh, great. that's right. Yes, yes. Monster Ball. <laughs> Monster Ball. <laughs> Another that that also hits close to home, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was great. I I really love this first issue. Yeah, me too, a lot. Now here's my question. Obviously, people did get upset when this was announced because people can be, you know, prudish about stuff, especially when they don't actually know what it is. When they're just hearing about like the uh, when they read the solicit or whatever it is, you know. Um, but do you think that this would have been, would this have caused real controversy if it was released? In this climate, yes. Yeah, I do. Vince? That's, that's tough. I mean, it, it would have, DC would have gotten letters probably, but don't, but don't you guys think also like, 
we don't have to get too deep into this, but don't you guys think that like the 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 age of the quote unquote one million moms and all that shit is kind of over? Like there will always be people that pretend that they're really upset about this kind of stuff, and and maybe even some who actually are. But like, we are in such a cycle that people forgot what happened three days ago. You know? Uh, yeah, I guess I should have called. Like, do I think that there would have been like a week where maybe this was brought up on Fox News like a couple times a day? Yes. Do I think yeah. it would have gone further than that? No. Yeah, I feel like. It, it, like every controversy today is the biggest deal in the world for three days and then never gets mentioned again. Right. And so I, I mean, don't hmm? keep going. Oh, sorry. Keep going. So keep I, going. I don't know if this would have necessarily done anything to really damage DC's uh, reputation, you know, etc., because it would have been forgotten about relatively quickly. Yeah. Exactly. Any final thoughts on this uh, issue? It's the best comic we read this week, and it DC. You could have had this. Yeah. You could have had the DC three stamp of approval. <laughs> yes, you we're giving, it. we are an Ahoy Comics podcast now. <laughs> Stay tuned next week for Captain Friendship Ginger with reviews. DC is ended. Yeah. <laughs> Captain the Ginger and uh, I got I got to think of the other ones. Um, that's all I can remember. We're, we're the Ahoy Polloi cast now. <laughs> it, it, it seems like just looking through these ads at the back, this is the uh, like vanity imprint for the um, like '90s Legion of Superhero creative teams. Um, <laughs> uh, well, Tom, Tom Payer is the editor in chief there. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Tom Payer did some of the best issues of uh, Convergence. That is true. Maybe, maybe he's still got some uh, some juice. Like There's juice? an Alberto Ponticelli book in here. There is. Yes. That is. Oh, oh man, what is the last thing that we saw him on? Was it like a Frankenstein thing? It might have been. Yeah. Man. I think he might have um, done some Future's End issues, but I think literally everyone who works in comics did a Future's End issue or two. So, yeah, and and also he was uh, he was a late artist on a few issues of uh, My Baby Dial H, I believe. Oh, You're right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that is cor- that is correct. Also, Chris Giarusso doing a issue or doing a book that does not match his style at all from the cover. <laughs> that is wild. All right. Well, next time, next time our listeners tune in, we may or may not actually be in a Hoy Comics podcast. If we're not, uh, I have pulled up what's coming out next week. Do you guys have? Do you guys ready for this? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a good week. It's a couple, it's, a, it's a small week, which is That's a good week, which is wonderful. Yes, we have Aquaman number fifty, Batman seventy five, two weeks in a row. Yeah. Mm. Mama Weird. Mia. Uh, That's uh, that I believe that is the the, the offer tie-in. Uh, quite possibly, yes. Um, we had the, we had collapser number one, the new uh, young animals title. Um, oh. uh, Justice League, Nightwing, Pearl, which I would have bet my lucky stars had already ended. Um, <laughs> uh, the first Jimmy Olsen issue, and Teen Titans. Ooh, Jimmy Olsen. 
Yeah. Oh, Mamacita. We can pretty much say we're going to be talking about Jimmy Olsen, Collapser, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we'll see what else. Probably Justice League. Justice League has a chance. Aquaman has a chance. It's 50th issue. It's Maybe it's going to be something there. Yep. Um, um, that's it. Teen Titans, maybe. Is this a Teen... Snyder? Or a... Oh, this is still the Tynion Fernandez, which is fine. That last issue was very good. Yeah. And then I'm guessing if we if we need a fifth, I'm guessing we'll go back to the Batman well. Yep. <laughs> we like drinking from that well. We do. Poison, poison well. So for the last like year of this podcast, at the end of every show, I have said you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. But uh, Zach's on a little Twitter sabbatical right now. Or you can still find me on there. I just might not talk to you. Well, then why would they want to find this. you? Maybe not, they want to. You're not tweeting tweet something at me, and I'll come. I'll look at it later. Okay. He's well, at Howard Schultz. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to get in touch with me, I am on Twitter at Brian is an app. If you want to get in touch with Vince or Zach, they are jerking each other off in the Better Than You lounge as they enjoy their breaks from Twitter. Wow. Wow. You, you're not. You're not men of the people. I am a man of the people. <laughs> Salvatore, just, 2020. I will talk to you on Twitter. Who needs Twitter when you're just gronking all day? <laughs> My people were at the Carly Rae Jemsen concert last week. Yeah. Your people Those are 18 year girls? <laughs> You'll find Vince in his new Carly Rae Jepsen podcast. Um, Pod me, maybe. Uh, oh, <laughs> She's the best. Sure. Yeah. She's the best. Apparently that third Boney Bear album is the best. <laughs> yep. It's good. It's good. It's, good. it's real good. Bleep, 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 bleep. Talk to you guys Asia. next Oh, it gives owning the libs a new meaning. <laughs> <laughs> There's a stinger. <laughs>